Before we look at our last passage during this Advent season, um, let me pray. And we'll be in verse 1 through 11. And as we begin that passage, it says, in those days. In those days. It doesn't say once upon a time, because it's not a story like that. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. And we're reminded from the very beginning of this account, it's a historical account of things that happened. It's also not not a mythical account. You think of of different stories of mythology where gods become men. Uh, They don't become common men and laid in a manger. This is a unique story. It's not a mythological story. It's a historical story of the incarnation of Christ. And another thing as we walk through the story, we're reminded that Christ is born um, in a common way, in the sense of that he was born to Mary and Joseph, a carpenter, a young virgin girl, and placed in a, in a manger, a feeding trough. But at the same time, as we read through this, we're reminded that although it's common in one way, It's glorious in another. All of the glories of heaven announce the birth of Jesus. So we'll remember those things kind of as we walk through this passage. And as we begin, again, verse verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. So we have this historical account, and you have Caesar Augustus, who in some ways was sovereign over that part of the world, the known world at the time. And the title Augustus means holy or revered, and it had been a title reserved for gods, but uh, Caesar Augustus um, wanted the Caesars to be seen as gods, and so he took upon this title. Um, as one who is holy and revered. And it may look a little bit that, that he is sovereign over what is going on. This um, call goes out that they have to be registered. They have to go to their hometown. And you might think that uh, Mary and Joseph are kind of under the hand of this sovereign um, dictator of the day. But we really know that the sovereign of the universe is in charge and moving Mary and Joseph about. And he is fulfilling... Old Testament prophecy that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So we see who's really in charge. God is in charge. Caesar Augustus might have thought he was the holy, revered God of the known world, but he was not. He was being used by the sovereign God of all the universe to move Mary and Joseph to where they needed to be. And sometimes our plans do get changed and rearranged, and sometimes um, we have a holiday on a Sunday, as we do this week and next week, but we gather together and we worship the one who's sovereign over even that, and we worship him this morning. Verse 4 through 5, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and the lineage of David to register with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. 
So they go to Bethlehem of Judea. And Bethlehem, it means house of bread. And I, I think of how Jesus Christ is the one who is the bread of life, being born in Bethlehem. But it's a fulfillment of God's um, plan that he's been working out. He, we see the sovereignty of God and his trustworthiness to his word. Because in the Old Testament, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it said, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient of days. So they go to Bethlehem. And here, Jesus, the Messiah, will be born. Verses 6 and 7. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and, let, and laid him in the manger because there was no place for them in the end. So here we have Mary and Joseph um, and we have the birth of Jesus, and there's no room in the end. Now, God has moved uh, the sovereign ruler of the known land to decree a census and moves them to Bethlehem. And we know that God in his sovereignty could have provided a palace for Jesus, uh, but he does not. He provides a, a place out back, um, apparently among livestock, as we see Jesus laid in a feeding trough. And we see Jesus come in all humility, which we've talked about from week to week and last night as well. And we think of Jesus coming in his humility, um, humbling himself and coming to those in need. We think of 2 Corinthians 8 9. I'm sure I've read that at least once during this Advent season, but I'll read it again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty might become by his poverty we might become rich. That through Christ, uh, the one who humbled himself to the point of death on the cross, that we can have new life in him, as we read last night in First John chapter four, that that he sent us, and that we might have that we might have life, that we might live, that we might live. A professor that I had in seminary, Robert Stein, he writes this of this passage. He says, The irony of the most important event of history taking place in a manger should not be lost sight of. It reveals how God elevated, elevates the lowly and the humble and rejects the proud and the mighty of this world. We see that Jesus came in in all humility. And he doesn't come to the proud and the self-sufficient, um, the lost and the sick, the poor in spirit. He, he came to those of us who don't have it all together, um, which, to be honest, is, is all of us. We all need Jesus. Um, and he came, again, not to be served, not to sit as, as he came this first time as an exalted king, but one who came humbly and came um, as a bondservant, came to be obedient even to death on the cross. And we see in the birth of Jesus Christ the foreshadowing of the cross. So here um, we see Jesus being born. And then verses 8 through 9. 
And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So here again, uh, Jesus was born, um, placed in a feeding trough, and there's a commonness to it, no place in the end for him. But here uh, we hear the announcement of Jesus. And he could have made that announcement to political leaders or religious leaders, but he comes to the shepherds. He comes to those who are out in their field, maybe those who are overlooked. I think of 1 Corinthians 1.25 that God just says he chooses the weak often to shame the strong. And here, I think that's happening here in this passage. And here they're out in the fields, and there are probably fields nearby where King David would have watched his sheep when he was young, before he became king, before he was anointed and chosen. And there was a prophecy made that he would, that a, a descendant of David would reign on the throne forever. And now the one long-awaited, anointed and chosen one is coming. And the announcement goes forth to the illiterate and to the unlearned, to the shepherds. And I, I think of the shepherds throughout the Old and New Testament. In the Old Testament, often the leaders uh, of God's people were referred to as shepherds. I think of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I think of Jesus who then says that he is a good shepherd willing to lay down his life. And here the announcement comes to the shepherds. And they were afraid in verse, end of verse 9. There was, they were filled with great fear. In verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. So here they're afraid, but again, that gracious call, do not be afraid. And the glory of the Lord shines around them. And there's a humility in the face of this announcement that's coming upon them. And they're afraid. Their hearts are humbled and they're able to receive this good word that they're going to receive. This great news that's going to be for all people. A message that's not just for a select group, but goes out to all people. Good news of great joy. The Messiah has come. God's loving kindness is being poured out. His mercy poured out upon his people in the birth of this one, this Messiah. And this announcement comes. And those angels, they continue. It says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So here we have this, this contrast. He said, the Savior, Christ the Lord. What's the sign? Not that he's wrapped in swaddling cloths. That would have been normal. But that he's lying in a manger. So the Savior in a manger there's a contrast there, and, and they know that this is a miracle. This is something unique. This is not normal. If this comes true, if we find a baby in a manger, we know something is going on here. And it's a message. It's a personal message. It says, for unto you, the sign is given to you. So this message to the shepherds out in the middle of the night, watching their sheep, for you, the Messiah has come. Go check it out. And then verse 13. And suddenly 
there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. So it doesn't stop there. The announcement continues, and, and all heaven breaks forth, and there's a host of, of heavenlies praising God. Glory to God. And they see that the shepherds... Uh, receive this message and and peace is declared peace with god and peace with men the peace that passes all understanding peace has gone forth peace that comes through the savior who came to rescue to seek and to save the lost and the verses 15 through 16 when the angels went away from them into heaven the shepherds said to one another let us go over to Bethlehem and see these things that has hap- this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And I just they probably couldn't even believe it. He's made it known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. So here the shepherds they hear this announcement. They've been uh, struck with fear and awe that. Heard, do not fear, this announcement is gone, and they've been humbled to accept the words of the Lord, and what do they do? They have lunch. No, they, they go. They go with haste. They don't wait. They don't have, a, have a, a coffee. Let's make her coffee first and get out. No, no, they go, um, and they try to find this baby, and they took off, and they find the scene of Mary and Joseph, and then the baby lying in the manger and um, they don't question, it doesn't seem. They accept these words as truth. And they don't just have sentimental feelings and be like, oh, cute baby. They're like the Messiah. We've been waiting forever. He is here. The Lord has answered our prayers. God, Emmanuel, God with us, is here. I can just imagine that moment. And then it continues and it says, and when they saw... When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So they go and they share. And they also go back too. They probably went back to their shepherding, but they were new shepherds. (laughs) And they had a message to share with those that they encountered. The Messiah had been born. The angels made it clear to us. Lying in a manger? Can you believe it? But they shared of the glory. And I think of this. I think of all the cast of of characters of Mary, a young virgin gal. There's nothing notable about her. She would have been overlooked, but God chose her. She was a faithful one who received um, the words of the Lord. And Joseph, a carpenter who we know was honorable and also believed when the message came to him from the angel, a shepherd though, or a, a carpenter though. And then the shepherds, and we have the shepherds there. They're working out in the fields and the Lord comes to them and says, hey, you need to go see. People that might see as those who are, are cast off are those who the Messiah, Jesus Christ, comes first. And 
And we shouldn't be surprised the one who's a friend of sinners uh, would come in this way. Yesterday, I was uh, running a couple errands. And as I was driving around, I was listening to a song by Sovereign Grace Music. That's, uh, it's a take on O Come All You Faithful, but it's O Come All You Unfaithful. And I think I have the words, Anthony, you can put those up. And I was just thinking about those. I'm thinking about this message of Jesus Christ who came in all humility for us who don't have it all together. It says, O come, all you unfaithful come, weak and unstable come, know you are not alone. O come, barren and waiting ones, weary of praying, come, see what your God has done. Christ is born. Christ is born. Christ is born for you. O come, bitter and broken. Come with fears unspoken. Come, taste of his perfect love. O come, guilty and hiding ones. There's no need to run. See what your God has done. Christ is born. Christ is born. Christ is born for you. He is the lamb who was slain, slain for our pardon. His promise is peace for those who believe. He is, he's the lamb who was given, slain for our pardon. His promise is peace for those who believe. So come. Though you have nothing, come. He is the offering, come. See what God has done. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that this morning we don't come to a once upon a time story. We don't come upon a mythological story of a 